Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. I don't do that as well as Alan does. How are y'all doing? That's that's the part I usually say. Welcome to the show. This is, of course, episode 120, and I am flying solo tonight, folks. Alan Smith is nowhere to be found. I have looked all over Hootenanny Studios, and I cannot find him. Don't worry. By the end of the show, and actually within the next two to three minutes, you're going to find out where he is. But it's been a weird opening week around here because I usually spend opening week and indeed most of the baseball season and indeed most of my time with the esteemed Mr. Smith. But Alan this week uh, has decamped for points south for reasons that will be explained shortly. And so the fact that Kevin Gosman is in the bullpen and Ubaldo Jimenez is in the starting rotation, the fact that the Steve Pierce experience... Pierce-perience? Nope, nothing there. Okay, steady on, Dingman. Keep going forward. Uh, The fact that the Steve Pierce experience is not just a collective daydream that we're all having that's lasted for the last year plus, those are not the weirdest things about opening week of the 2015 season for me. It's been very strange uh, having a different experience than Alan did, and for Alan, I think it's been particularly odd, as he will tell you about in just a moment. So let's go to that conversation now. Alan joined me on the phone from a very interesting location to talk about the experience of being far away from the television set here during opening week. And uh, the conversation went a little bit like this. Alan Smith, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, you actually you sound great. Oh my god. That's what happens when you go sit in a car, man. The acoustics in a car are just splendid. Ah, you're coming to me from a vehicle, eh? A two thousand and five uh Toyota Corolla. I've always known you to be a fancy man at heart. It's some kinda of alright, I'll say that. <laughs> It's um, it's so dusted with the southern pollens that it's sort of amazing. The southern pollens, eh? Yes. Now, uh, Alan Smith, you say this to me. Uh, as you know, I started recording the moment I called you. I expect nothing less. <laughs> you say this to me because you're we're we're talking to you tonight in uh, North Carolina, one of the Carolinas. Uh, I I am coming to you, um, I guess, on tape. By the time you hear this, from. Um, the John C. Campbell Folk School in Brasstown, North Carolina. Okay. Which is the uh, farthest sort of west, south and west that you can be and still be in North Carolina. Now, there's a question I have to ask you, and you know I have to ask you, so I'm afraid you're just going to have to provide an answer. Have you been okay. saying to everyone there, when you want to get serious, let's get down to brass tacks? brass town i have not and i regret everything see now that's a missed opportunity smith it is it is i feel i feel terrible about that is the audio still holding up oh it's uh it's stupendous you sound you sound better than i do 
Okay, great. Because uh, you're coming in a little bit, a little bit hits and misses, but um, we'll just we'll just uh, pretend that that's not happening. Okay. Well, you just you just respond to whatever you think I'm saying, and great. Chances are that will be better than what I'm actually saying. Isn't that really the mystery of language, anyway? Isn't that <laughs> what we're all doing? <laughs> that is uh, that is a question that is way too big for the scope of this program. Not that that has ever stopped us in the past. <laughs> I, was gonna say, I think that's just exactly on point for the scope of this program. Now, are uh, we ever actually communicating? Can you know what another person thinks really <laughs> actually deeply, truly? <laughs> has Wei Yin Chen finally lost his the command of his changeup? All these questions, I think, live basically in the same, in the same space. Now, Alan Smith, yep. uh, why are you in brass tacks uh, Brass Town, North Sea. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sold on the brilliance of my stupid joke that I've forgotten where you are. Uh, why are you at the John C. Campbell Folk School? I am learning to um, make things on the lathe. So I am I am making um, bowls and and vases and sort of things that you can make that are circular out of wood. Well, uh, the Orioles pitching staff is also making a lot of balls this week, so there's uh, <laughs> there's some synergy going on. Now, all of those all of those things seem like very worthy goals, but uh, you are aware that it is opening week. Yeah, it, it, it's a very it's a very interesting thing, Sam. That I I, I have disappeared now. Um, I, I as as astute listeners are are probably aware, I am able to call Sam on a telephone. So it is, it is not accurate to say that there is zero cell phone reception in all of the John C. Campbell Folk School. But I have driven a car, in this case the 2005 Toyota Corolla previously referenced, <laughs> to the only place with dependable um, reception on the campus, which is the graveyard at the top of the hill. <laughs> so I am parked at a graveyard uh, in Brasstown... North Carolina, beautiful stars all around, a light dusting of pollen, and um, this is the first I've heard about baseball in a week. So just to just to com- finish the process of setting the scene for our listeners, you are a a solitary man in a dusty uh, 2005 sedan, sitting alone in a graveyard, talking on the phone. Is that correct? <laughs> Not to not to not to fault your life choices, Smith. I, I think you're doing great out there. Well, you know, it's interesting. Without sports to distract you constantly, you you end up thinking a lot about life and about life's choices. Uh, and 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 you know, one of the things that is so very true about sports is that it it is it is the opiate of the of the present day masses, and it does a little bit to to, to dull the harsh reality of our own mortality and, and our own stroll toward our eventual death. So without the sort of rebirth of opening day and without the sort of endless circular hope of a new baseball season, I have instead been faced as I sit here in this graveyard in the dark by myself in a 2005 (laughs) Corolla with, with a sort of, you know, deep and possibly a good everyone likes a good uh, reflection on death but a deep sort of um 
ennui. Uh, and, and I need you, Sam, to tell me about baseball, if nothing else, to give me a, a foothold back into the cycles of life that, that could, you know, return us to, to some semblance of, of, of working and living order. Well, a couple things. One, you're expecting far too much from me. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. Two. Well, this could, this could be grim. <laughs> it's interesting to me that you're saying that you've gone back to the land, so to speak. You're working with your hands. You're creating in a non-digital environment, which is pretty different from what we do here at Hootenanny Studios every week. And you're crafting things that are going to be very useful, uh, these very beautiful handmade utilitarian objects that you're going to be able to keep and use around your home for years and years and years to come. And that, if I'm understanding you correctly, is not creating the same level of emotional escape that nine innings of an Orioles game can create for you. Is that is that accurate? Well, here's the thing. The things that I'm making are are very, like you say, concrete and very real. Um but they don't serve as distraction. In fact, they sort of serve as a, um, it's a sobering process and it's a useful process, but it often, um, as an entire day turns into one bowl or one, uh, turned piece of wood, it actually makes one reflect on mortality and the passage of time in a way that baseball does not. I think that baseball for me, we've talked about this a lot, but there's sort of this circularness to it. Um, and without the, the sort of distraction, and I do think it is a distraction. I'm, I'm, I have instead a reminder that the world is, uh, continuing on a pace and that there is no repeat of a new baseball season, that there is no distraction of a new, set of of sporting things to be excited about that's uh that's really actually that's very fascinating to hear because i would think that the bleaker thought would be here we are at the beginning of another new baseball season and i am once again convinced that this uh group of overpaid men playing a child's game is going to provide me with relevance and something to look forward to emotionally for yet another summer. That seems way more absurd to me as a concept than I made a bowl that I'm going to be able to use forever. But it sounds like what you're saying is there's a bit of a metaphor happening for you, which is like, you know, sometimes you put in an entire day working on something uh, at the peak of your capacity, tiring yourself out, completely exhausting all of your physical craftsman skills, and all you end up with is a goddamn bowl. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think that the bowl is fantastic. I'm not down on the bowl. <laughs> I just think that I just think that that it it makes one pause and consider mortality. Not to say that that is necessarily even a bad thing, but the opiate of baseball is for me a distracting one because yes, all the things that you say about baseball just now about them being overpaced, overpaid boys playing a child's game that is silly but it's a it's a it's a numbing silliness and it's a distracting silliness and actually i would say my um my my uh mind is clear 
I I feel like I am contemplating big and important things sitting here. It's just that the big important things are life and death and um, large questions about uh, my life and mortality, and not so much the uh, intricacies of how well Kevin Gossman is going to be coming out of the bullpen and whether or not Steve Pierce happens to be living up to the promise of last season. Well, uh, a couple things. One, I think I find it amazing that you're currently in the process of contemplating your mortality in a graveyard. <laughs> That's the best place to contemplate mortality. <laughs> Two, um, do you find as you as you wrestle with these these enormous issues, do you find that you miss baseball or do you find that you feel foolish for spending as much time thinking about baseball as you do when you're here in Brooklyn, when you could instead be focused on these, on these bigger, more, um, more significant matters? I, I think, I think that the answer to that question is that you cannot, one cannot contemplate large questions of mortality too much. They are, uh, paralyzing. And while interesting, they are also sort of, um, something that is best done in short spurts. So I think that um, I do I do wish that I was there for opening day. That is a particularly fun and exciting moment. And I do um, I do think that by the time I'm done here at the John C. Campbell Folk School and traveling back on Saturday, that I will be done with the um, big thoughts and ready to once again be distracted. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So, so you're sort of, uh, you're getting, you're getting your fix of existential wandering and you're ready to, um, have the Orioles provide you with their own existential nonsense once you return. Yes. So it's been really interesting for me watching the, the first few games of the season. The Orioles are of course, two and one having taken the first series against the Rays and I think um, a big part of what was great about the two wins um, in that series was the fact that it very much seemed like the Orioles sort of picked up exactly where they left off last year and really for the last three years, which is huh. executing really well on defense, getting pitching that was way better than expected, and getting uh, very significant offensive contributions from players from which, from whom you wouldn't expect those things. Your Ryan Flaherty's, your Travis Snyder's, your Steve Pierce's. But the thing that I thought was interesting about that is, obviously, this is ludicrous three games into the season to be discussing, but it has prompted at least another preliminary round of people starting to say, why do we continue to underestimate the Orioles? Why does every preseason projection continue to suggest that they're not going to be able to build on the success they've had over the last few years and that there must be some regression coming soon because the ways that they've been able to win games over the past few seasons just are not sustainable. And yet here they are coming out of the gate hot again, and once again, they, they have figured out how to do it. The thing I want to I get your take on is I had a thought today, that, which is that I wonder how much of the whole phenomenon of projecting out who's going to be the best team um, and the number of projections that we see of who's going to be the best team and who the best players are going to be and all of these things 
I think what it does sometimes is it causes us to not think about how ridiculous the very exercise of attempting to predict the outcome of a 162 game season is on its face. I mean, when you look at a game hmm. like baseball, it is so complex. The season is so long. There are so many things that can go wrong, whether it's injuries or underperformance. There are just so many things that can influence what happens in a season that the idea of predicting something like that, I would argue in baseball is even more ridiculous than in any other sport. I think that, I think that with professional baseball, it might actually be one of the most predictable things. Because I think that given a hundred and, you know, more than a hundred games of sample size, you actually have the ability to um, separate wheat from chaff much more uh, regularly, which actually makes what the Orioles have been doing all the more impressive and all the more surprising. And I think actually what it gets for me is – what you were talking about a couple of podcasts ago about having cracked the Buck Show Walter code. And I think that Buck is doing things that their metrics don't account for yet. And I think that defense actually is a big deal. And I think that executing actually is a big deal. And I think that we, um, in a, we'll call it a post sabermetrics world, we assume that the ability to define how good a pitcher is and how good people hit the ball is uh, going to be a predictor for how well they play the season out. And I just think that what's really interesting about Buck is the ability to execute, the ability to have record-breaking defenses for the past couple of years, which he has, and the ability to get pitchers who are uh, not necessarily um, the blow-your-mind fantasy strikeout numbers that, uh, have become sort of standard in in Major League Baseball. We don't have an overpowering ace, but you know, the bullpen and the starting rotation have been good for the last couple of years. I just think we're skating outside what is currently you know hot in sabermetrics land, and people are not uh, accounting for that in their in their productions. Yeah, I well, I agree. And the statistic that people always point at when they uh, sort of naysay the ability of the Orioles rotation to continue its success is fielding independent pitching right everybody always looks at it and says you know these guys are not the don't have the level of pitching talent that their earned run averages are making it seem like they do if you look at fielding independent pitching it's clear that their defense is helping them to an inordinate degree and that's not repeatable Except, of course, that's repeatable if you continue to field a very strong defensive team. That's how you repeat that. Right. <laughs> you know? And, like, that connection somehow never gets made. Like, I don't understand why it is not sabermetrically um, or st- even, you know, any kind of statistical approach. I don't understand why it, it is not, it's not a reasonable argument to say so long as the organization continues to place a heavy premium on defense – pitchers of this skill level will continue to have success those two themes those two things seem to fit together very naturally to me but the the thing but the thing of that is right is that that's not what sabermetrics is trying to do sabermetrics is trying and they're very overt about this i would say they're trying to measure how well a player individually performs and that misses the fact that yes it, it is still it's the maybe the the least team game of all the team sports we play, but it is still technically a team sport, 
And that means that, you know, people are, are on a team and that the team's makeup is important. Um, with that, you know, w- w- to, with all of this said, I, I don't want this to, uh, to appear as if we are, um, we are, uh, coronating the, this 2015 Baltimore Orioles team three to games in. I haven't actually watched a pitch yet. So tell me, <laughs> tell me how, uh, how, how, how do the boys look? Steve Pierce has hit two home runs in three games. Uh, and Steve Pierce has had very nice at-bats, so I think that's a very good thing. I think uh, you would also be encouraged to know that Alejandro Deaza, who has been our leadoff batter for all three games in the in the series thus far. Uh, well, thing one is Ben Mastin proposed an excellent nickname for Alejandro Deaza, which I don't think we're going to be able to top, which is Deaza Watching God. <laughs> that is fantastic. So keep that um, in mind. Uh- we should we should use this as a as a as a tease. When I'm back from North Carolina, I promise, uh, Baltimoreans, we will get to the uh, nickname episode. Yes. Just continue continue yelling um, uh, monosyllabic grunts until then at the TV screen. And thank you, by the way, to the folks on Twitter, and we do tweet at Bmorons. Thank you to the folks who have been asking us when we're going to do the nickname episode. We've decided to take the radical step this year of. Instead of doing the nickname episode, oh, two weeks before the roster is set, resulting in, oh, 30% of the <laughs> nicknames not even being relevant, this year we've decided to wait until the season is already underway, and we've already got some on-field performance to go off of in formulating our nicknames to release that episode. So stay tuned, that's coming soon. Um, but that, anyway. makes it, that makes it sound a little more intentional than I think it is. Um, we should also mention that it is because I have decamped to North Carolina that we have not gotten that done. <laughs> See, Alan, I just made us sound like we put a lot of forethought into all of this, and then you, with your existential ennui, decided to pierce the veil. <laughs> I I hope you get attacked by a ghost in that graveyard, sir. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I think you would be very excited that Alejandro Deaza... Uh, as our leadoff hitter has, while he has not, um, I would say, worked counts very well, he has ah. fouled off a lot of pitches and okay. uh, in a couple of occasions worked himself into a place where he's been able to get something that he can drive. Um, so that's encouraging to see because I, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty skeptical about the Alejandro Deaza as leadoff hitter experiment that, that appears to be ongoing. It's going to take a lot to replace... Um... Nick Marcakis in my heart, but it's going to take even more to replace him in the Orioles' collective OPS. <laughs> it's true. Um, I would also say uh, Travis Snyder has been something to be very, very excited about. He has made a couple of excellent plays in right field already, including uh, throwing uh, a base runner out at home plate from right field, a very Marcakisian move. He also made right. a really nice diving stop of a sinking line drive, although that was actually fairly non-Marcakis because Marcakis uh, never really had to dive very much because he had every hit read before it even came off the bat, whereas in this one it was a case where Travis Snyder clearly broke in the wrong direction and then had to run forward to make up ground he should have covered. Still, it looked pretty on the, on the TV. Um, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Uh, the, actually, the biggest thing that he did to work his way into my cold, embittered little heart is that in his first at-bat, 
uh, he there were runners in scoring position, and there was a shift on against him, so he just slapped a bouncer uh, into left field against the shift and drove in the Orioles' first run of the season, which if we could get oh! anyone else in our lineup to do would be huge. Allegedly, Chris Davis bunted for a base hit against the shift twice during spring training. He tried to do it in the game tonight and uh, failed miserably, but he did try. Um, hey, that's fine. So uh, I would say, you know, it's it's been a mixed bag so far, Smith, is is the summary okay. I would give you. Okay, okay. And uh, tell me tales of uh, the has, – has Gossman come out of the bullpen yet? Gosman came out of the bullpen in game two and uh, touched 101 miles per hour on the radar gun, uh, but one of his fastballs was also touched by Kevin Kiermeyer to the tune of a 420-foot ho- two-run home run. Ah. So, well, at least in okay. the first outing, not doing a whole lot to disprove the idea that he should be in the rotation instead of Ubaldo Jimenez. Has Ubaldo Jimenez pitched yet? Ubaldo Jimenez, I believe, pitches for the first time on Sunday. So he's our our fifty-two million dollar number four man, huh? Uh, number five, number five. He'll number be, five man. He's been slotted in just behind your boy Bud Beans Norris. Okay, okay. Well, that um, is the only outstanding reason why I don't think we can just sort of crown Dan Duquette. <laughs> well, so I, w- I want to give you my theory on what's going on with the Ubaldo Jimenez situation Uh, because no less than Jim Palmer on the first Orioles telecast of the season openly questioned the decision to put Gosman in the bullpen. And Palmer, though I think he is one of the most astute color commentators out there right now, he is usually not quite as much as Mike Bordick, but is still a company man. And he's not the kind of person who's going to openly question the decisions that the front office is making. I think what's going on is that the Orioles realize that Gosman is a stud and needs to be in the rotation to take the next step forward, but that they're not going to be able to unload Jimenez uh, by way of a trade unless they can generate some level of proof that he is uh, able to help a major league team in a starting rotation. So I think they're probably looking at it like if they can get two or three quality starts out of him, then a team like the Giants that just lost Matt Cain uh, to the disabled list and may not get him back, um, or any of the other teams whose rotations are already looking a little bit shaky due to injury, might be willing to bite on Jimenez uh, for the remainder of the Colorado could probably use him back. Uh, Yeah, yeah. That's the last time he was a truly dominant pitcher. (laughs) That's true. Which makes very little sense. Well, I mean, the Giants can have him... um, it it is an off year, so they're not going to win the World Series. But you know, <laughs> well, uh, of course, what that means is that in the 2016 season, Ibaldo Jimenez for the San Francisco Giants is going to go 22 and six and strike out 250 batters. That's already going to be horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, Smith, uh, anything else you'd uh, anything else you'd you'd like to add from the swirling mists and fog of North Carolina where <laughs> amongst the dead well I, I will say that the process of turning has um, has really it, it it's it's one of the most interesting things I've ever done um, and, and by it, turning you're you're referring to making bowls 
Well, tur- turning is the process of putting a piece of wood on the lathe, uh, and then it spins around at about 1,200 RPM, and you take a very sharp chisel, and you, and you, um, you, you, you carve off little bits as it spins. Okay. So okay. you basically uh, you leave every day with all of your pockets filled with sawdust and sawdust in your hair and, and sort of – it's very much like throwing pots but in reverse. Um, you can get all of the same interesting shapes, but instead of building it up, you are, you are gnawing it down. And, um, I will say that, that the process has made me appreciate wood. It's made me appreciate people who spend time thinking about and shaping things out of wood. It's, and it's, it's really made me think a lot about, um, making things with my hands and wish Make, make me wish that I spent more time doing this. Um, I'm not quite at the space now where I'm convinced that I'm going to convert my extra bedroom in a 800-square-foot apartment into a turning studio, but I'm close. <laughs> well, uh, speaking as somebody who has converted the extra bedroom in his 800 square foot apartment into a a an occasionally dysfunctional podcasting studio um i can tell you that going through the process if nothing else will make you ask some deep questions about who you are and what you're doing with your 30s i'm not sure that i should ask any more of those questions coming off this week (laughs) so maybe i shouldn't do that just yet All right, folks, that'll do it for episode 120 of Baltimoreans. Thank you very much for joining us. And I look forward, as I'm sure you do, to having Alan Smith back here at Hootenanny Studios next week for episode 121. In the meantime, we do hope you will check out all the other episodes of our show at bmorons.com and that you'll follow us on Twitter at bmorons, where we've been having big fun here this opening week. I hope that you had a really wonderful week and that you're as happy as we are to have Orioles baseball back on the TV and look forward to another great season of sharing it with you right here on Baltimoreans. Thank you, as always, for tuning in, folks. And before we go, there is just one more question I would like to pose to you, and that is this. What would you call, dear listener, Henry Urudia when he is in the process of eating honey from a jar? Would you call him... Henry Winnie the Pooh Rudia? I think you would have to. I, I don't really think you'd have a choice in the matter. I think that's, uh, I think that's pretty inescapable, and I'm, I'm sure you all agree. Talk to you next week. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. <laughs>